Welcome to the Vorthos Podcast with your host, Matt W. Ruff. Thank you, Bob, and welcome to part two of Creeds. And I'm going to add on to it statements of faith because in a lot of ways they can be similar things. Today we're only going to talk about one of them, and it's the basis for Presbyterian's view of things. It's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. Now, I'm somewhat critical of the Westminster Confession of Faith, and my reasons are pretty much based on just what it was and what it's become. There's, there's, um, it's, it's what most reform people have some reference to a modified version of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which was written in the mid 1600s. Okay, and it talks about all the doctrines of Christianity. It's very exhaustive in that regard. But there's several things. One, and it's not to be glossed over like Presbyterians do, it was a pre. There were sev- several things that were preconditions that the Scottish made on the English in order to get the help they were looking for against the king. Okay. And so how can I say you don't go to somebody who God does, isn't somebody you can, okay, well I'll do this. If you do that, I mean, we do it. Okay. Everybody's done that prayer. Hey God, I'll, I won't, I won't drink for a week if you let this happen or that happen or whatever. Okay, everybody's done it. I say everybody. I'm just assuming, but the that's not the way it works. Now everybody pretty much agrees on that one too. So the the Westminster Confession of Faith already has this caveat against it. There are preconditions. Which, here's the problem with preconditions. How about if the preconditions are wrong? I mean, this is, you know, hypothetically, an angel used, taking the form of a man and walks in and says, I have a message from the Lord, blah, blah, blah. No, you shouldn't, it shouldn't be this way. They, that, sorry, precondition, you know. It's, it's just not the way to do things. Everything, is, there should have been no preconditions. So that's my first major problem with Westminster Confession of Faith. The second one has to do very little with the actual Westminster Confession of Faith as it does with this, how old it is. And don't get me wrong, we read our Bibles, but we read them in modern translations most of the time. I mean, there are the crowd that, you know, harks back to the, the 1611 King James Bible, and I get it. But even the, when you read the King James Bible, it's not as 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 out of norm as the Westminster Confession of Faith is. So let's start with chapter one, which is the title of the Holy Scriptures. 
Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men unexcusable, yet there are yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God or of his will, which it is necessary unto salvation. Therefore, it pleases the Lord at sundry times and in divine manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church and afterwards for the better preservation and propagating of the truth and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruptions of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world to commit the same holy unto writing which makes the holy scriptures to be most necessary those former ways of God's reveals his will unto his people being now ceased under the name of Holy scriptures or the word of God written are now contained all the books of the old new Testament, which are the 66 books and they list all 66 books. Just so there's no clarifications, all of which were given by inspire inspiration of God to be the rules of faith in life. These books the books commonly called in this part three, the books commonly called the part three, not being of divine inspiration, are not part of the canon of Scripture and therefore are no authority in the church of God, nor to be anything otherwise approved or made use of other than human writings. Now, nobody talks like that anymore. So in order to fully understand the Westminster Catholic of faith, you got to understand the King's English of the 1600s, which is a problem. Uh, and, you know, but, positive side of it, they go through, you know, the Old Testament's in Hebrew, which was the native language of the people of God of old, instead of saying, you know, the tribe of Israel or. Judaism, you know, the tribe of God of old, and the New Testament in Greek, which at the time of the writing was generally known to the nation. I mean, it, it, they go into a lot of details. But again, a confession of faith needs to be relevant to the times. I mean, the Nicene Creed, with just a few little tweaks, is very, it fits. It's something a modern can read and, and they understand it. The words used in the Westminster Confession of Faith, some of which are extremely outdated, and the phrasing of them is even more outdated. Now, I'm not saying that I'm defending the moderns because I'm really not, but their way of talking versus our way of talking you know, this is English, Scottish, and Ireland, which was the kingdoms under King, the, the King of England and Scotland and Ireland, um, is not America, which is where I'm from. And so I don't see why now, I don't see why people put so much stock in them. Now, in Presbyterian view of the Westminster Confession of Faith, they are the lens in which you interpret Scripture. They are not Scripture, 
They are the lens which you interpret Scripture. In some ways, now they'll, they'll argue this point, but in practical experience, I've noticed this to be the fact, as in when I was dealing with them in their highest court, which is should be the should be following their most strictest doctrine at that point in time. The they, if Scripture says one thing and and the Westminster says something else, then then you've got a problem, because that's the lens. Now, the idea of a lens, I better go into because it's something I'll refer to multiple times. Everybody reads everything through a lens. If you're reading Huckleberry Finn and you have no inclination of of America and you say you're in Australia or India or Japan, it's going to be hard because it's written based on the fact that you have a basic understanding maybe of the geography and the people and the structure, just like anything else. Part of the key to interpreting certain parts of Scripture is to study what it was like in biblical times, biblical geography, knowing where places are, how things were done. So my opinion is that if you're going to use something like the Westminster Confession of Faith, which was developed by the best theologians of the time, but understand those times are the mid-1600s. I'm not saying, in fact, I probably would say some of those guys were probably extremely pious and, and but they didn't have the technology we have today. And I think that's important. They understood scripture. They understood, but they, they had a limited number of manuscripts where we have much larger because of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They didn't have the, obviously the ability to computer reference phrases as quickly, but so they, they did all the manual work. They looked them all up and they, I mean, the, the, the references alone in the Westminster Confession of Faith are huge. Like on in chapter 2, which is of God and the Holy Trinity, they go from footnote 25 all the way to footnote... I'm scrolling through right now. Through 64, where they're referencing verses and multiple versions sometimes. So the chapters go scripture, holy scripture, which in you know, i.e. the Bible, to of God and the Holy Trinity. Chapter three is of God's external decree. Section one from chapter three. God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so, as thereby, neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor is the liberty or conscience of a second clause taken away, but rather established. Sorry, nobody talks like that anymore. So that's that's a huge my huge problem with the Westminster again. So just in that there's eight 
chapter 4 of creation. And there's one, two paragraphs of that, pretty light. Chapter 5 of Providence. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, chapter six of the fall of man, of sin, and of punishment thereof. Okay. Section chapter seven of God's covenant with man. Now, these chapters are just what somebody decided they needed to be of Christ the Mediator is chapter 8. Chapter 9 of Free Will. Chapter 10 of Effectual Calling. Chapter 11 of Justification. Chapter 12 of Adoption. Chapter 13 of Sanctification. There's a lot of John Knox in this, okay, because the, the Covenors of Scotland, These, I bet you the, a bunch of this is there, how they did, because this is how John Knox, when I say John Knox, this is straight from his way he did his. Chapter 14 of Saving Faith. Chapter 15 of Repentance Unto Life. Chapter 16 of Good Works. Chapter 17 of the Preservation of the Saints. Chapter 18 of Assurance of Grace and Salvation. Chapter 19 of the Law of God. Again, the thing goes on. The thing list out, and I'm not going to go through them all because I don't think it's really valid, but if you read through all of them, the last one on the list is scrolling back is chapter thirty three of the Last Judgment. It's in PDF form on my computer. It's seventy four pages long. Now, today, I mean, literally, if you pull up a church, a church that has a decent website, okay, where they've invested some time and energy you will probably get a, a confession of, let's see, a confession of faith that is probably 10 points long at about one page. Now, that's a huge difference between a 75-page document and one page. Now, are we that... <laughs> Some people say, well, that, that's kind of fitting. They were much more deep. I'm not sure that's the case, but it's true. They weren't... They were much... That's all they did. That's all these people did for two years with this document together. And probably mostly all in the same place. And they, they probably ate and, you know, they probably slept nearby. I mean, it was, it was done in at Westminster in London. So, you know, it took a, it took several years, to put the document together and, 
again, it is what it is. I just don't think it's the way to go. Now, from my perspective, I think it's good to have a, you know, a, some sort of structure, a creed or a statement of faith that you go by. I have no problem with, with the concept. In fact, I'm a big positive concept. I started my statement of faith in the 1900s, 1995, I think. I don't have the original version um, because it was an exercise that a teacher that was really good, he was a seminary professor as well, said everybody should have their own personal doctrinal statement. That's what he called them. So that's what I call mine. And mine is now grown to 13 page. Oh, really just 12 and just a little bit on the 13th page. And that to me is much more practical. And the more generalistic ones, the one to two page ones for a church, I think is probably adequate within a point. The Nicene Creed, the way I look at it, is kind of the definition of the orthodoxy. If it's read right and understood correctly. The problem with progressives in all areas, but also in religion, is they just make the words into something else. You know what? You know, marriage for thousands of years has been. One woman, one man get married, that's marriage. Progressives say, no, it's now two whatevers. Two guys can get married, two females can get married. Inside a church, I'm talking. I mean, they they don't, they just rework, they just take the word and throw it out because they don't like the way, you know, they don't have, sin is not something they deal with in a sense. They pretty much ignore it. There's a cartoon uh, out that I saw, and this guy walks into her church, and he, he asks this lady that he knows, he goes, hey, can I, do you have an extra Bible? I left mine in the car. He said, sure, and he hands it to her, and he opens it up, and everything's blacked up, but blacked out of it except God is love. She goes, well, I didn't like all that negativity. Negativity. I mean, the trouble with Joel Osteen, the trouble with progressives, that side of things is they pretty much whitewash sin. On the other side, the the you know the, the nickname for, for for Protestants are the frozen chosen. Okay, they they only act like they believe in two parts of the Trinity. So if you only have the two-page statement of faith, then you're, you're limited to just covering the basics. You know, we believe in the Trinity consisting of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in the, the Holy Scriptures or the divine Word of God consisting of the 66 books of the New and Old Testament. Okay, that's, that's all you're getting. You're getting no, no meat. It's all just, head, just the headlines. And that's a problem as well. But I get it that you don't want to list out a very, you know, you put it, a lot of Presbyterians do put the Westminster Faith, Statement of Faith, the PDF on their website. 
I'm curious. I would love to have the stats of how many times somebody's a just clicked on it, but actually read the thing. Now, if you're a teaching elder, which is I code for a pastor or an ordained minister in in a Presbyterian style church, then you've probably read the actual Westminster Confession of Faith. Most elders and deacons that I knew. They may reference it, but they sure hadn't read it, and they sure weren't really familiar with it because I, <laughs> I used to question them. What about the, oh, well, I have to get in front of me, you know, because they don't study, which is good. I don't think you really should study a creed. Well, your own creed or, or the Westminster. It's, it's the Nicene Creed you should study in depthly so you know what it is we're saying. The bigger problem is the, again, the way the words are just changed today. I mean, the world we're in now is a very chancy place because two plus two doesn't have to equal four with progressives. It can equal whatever they want it to. You know, it's kind of like it's close enough. They literally do wipe out sections of doctrine that doesn't appeal to them. And then they overemphasize other things, you know, so, but as a church or as a group of believers, I think you need to be a bit more specific than that. Now, I don't expect everybody to spend the time to develop their own, but I think it's a good exercise. Uh, and I don't write well. I mean, I've stated that's the reason I'm doing a podcast. I may not speak well, but I speak a whole lot better than I write. So that's where I come from. But I've spent the time to write it down and to not have it professionally checked. I use you know the same tools I use for when I write anything else, and so it's readable. And and I, as soon as my son gets a change made to my website, I'll put it up on Vorthos.net. So you can read it. Um, and it's a work in progress, as it should be. A church shouldn't, there, again, I'm fine with the general, um, because you're not going to, you, you find out, you know, okay, they, they're in the orthodoxy camp, at least they talk like the art. When you get in, you know, do they actually believe it? You got to experience that yourself which is a big challenge today. A lot of people say they're Christians, but I don't think a lot of people are. And scripture backs me up on this. You know, wide is the path, but narrow is the gate that leads to salvation. So if everybody who says they're a Christian, just because they say it, that'd be a lot of people. But I don't think that's the way it works. And I'm sorry for the shortness of this podcast, only 24, five minutes probably, but it was a crazy week. Had to go to Dallas, came back, got a new iPhone, spent two weeks, I mean, two days trying to get it working because of the problem with the carrier and some things just didn't get done. So I I had worked on this part before I left on my trip and that's kind of where I'm at. So next week we're going to start a book. And it's The Faith by Chuck Colson. And there's another 
co-writer who probably did most of the writing. And so if you want to know what's going on, how we're going to verb, we're going to go through that book as our guides, because the faith is a book which basically takes the Nicene Creed and breaks it again into 12 or 13, 14 parts to state the core beliefs of Orthodox Christianity. Something that we generally share with the Catholics, believe it or not. They, they believe in the Nicene Creed as well. And that's why I said it may be good enough for church, but it's not good enough for your own personal beliefs. Because I can never be a Catholic. Uh, talking Roman Catholic, not little c. I'm part of the universal church, but not the Roman church. So, again, um, Next week, we start The Faith by Chuck Colson. So if you want to get the book, that will probably help you in your studies. Have a nice day. Thanks for listening to the Vorthos Podcast. Visit Vorthos.net for more information. That's Vorthos, V-O-R-T-H-O-S dot net. You may follow at Vorthos on Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on the Vorthos podcast are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Vorthos podcast. Any content provided by Matt or our guest are their opinion and not intended to malign or insult anyone or anything. Matt W. Ruff can be reached at Matt W. Ruff at Vorthos.net. That's M-A-T-T-W-R-U-F-F at V-O-R-T-H-O-S dot net.